So I'm going to just roll back a brief moment to the conversation that was just taking place here. And you, you actually make the folks who are representatives of insurance agencies refer to you as Dr. Gregory. I don't make them. <laughs> it's flagged in their system. You, so they you, automatically you, call you identify yourself as a doctor to the folks at these insurance companies. No, when you fill out the information online, it asks things like your highest level of education. Obviously, I put doctorate. And then in their systems, it's designed, presumably, you know, to like make the uh, potential customer happy. But it's designed so that they, on their little scripts, they automatically default to Dr. Gregory. Oh. Yeah, the only way that it would not happen is if I were to lie and list a lower level of education. But why would I, I do that? I think I you might know, do I that. just I envision you as somebody who's now throwing that into the prefix section of every form that you <laughs> fill out of you know preferred. It's a doctor, please. And then no, suffixes no, he puts I, PhD, MD. <laughs> No, Masters. I don't. D- it's DDM, thank you. <laughs> I worked in customer service, you know, for far too long to be that sort of person. So <laughs> I don't, I don't even correct people. Like if it's on the phone and they're like, and I'm like calling to schedule a dentist appointment or something like that. If it's not already in their system and they're like, oh sure, Mr. Gregory, we can blah blah blah. I don't correct them or anything. I just um, roll actually, it's doctor. It's very wide of you. I appreciate the effort. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to be a burden. <laughs> The only time I would do something like that is if we've like escalated to a an, ag- an antagonistic. Oh, setup so when ah. you go Karen mode, okay. So, i.e., right now, when someone is poking <laughs> fun of the fact that you have gone to great lengths and monetary expenditure to better yourself to the point of actually having several degrees from a, a venerable institution, then you it's, will self-identify as a doctor. Well, it's it's more so when it's like. Okay, I'm. I'm. The, the argument is an argument has started, and I need to snip it in the bud. And it's clear that they are not like necessarily valuing my stance. So I'm just giving them a little like, hey, I, you know, I'm I'm not exactly like an oh. idiot here. I've got like, you know, I'm speaking from a certain point of like, like I've got an IQ of 143. How dare you talk to me like that? You will respect my authority. And as a matter of fact, I was a part-time carpenter for a significant amount of time <laughs> and uh, wouldn't quite call myself a journeyman, but I was a journeyman. Yeah, uh, like, I listened uh, to I'm Journey not, all the time. I mean, I'm not quite Jesus, but, you know, close. Dr. Oh, journeyman well. Gregory Esquire the Third. It's Dr. Christ to you. <laughs> oh, Superstar. Now, there's, there's a Muppet band that I wish I would have seen in action. <laughs> Dr. Christ and the Electric Mayhem. <laughs> And they're a debut album by the Eternal <gasps> Beholtz. It is the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm Doc. And I'm Michael. And you see how hard that was, kids? Oh, you're, making, you're, you're cracking jokes because we, we I, dropped the ball a you know, last week. I, I mean, I gotta tell you. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I haven't had to white knuckle my way through one of these shows when I wasn't recording it in a good long while. And uh, all of the talk about swimming in bodily fluids. And I was like, this is not an OnlyFans (laughs) podcast. Uh. But the sheer volume of saturation talk and the, I can't do this because on on account of the sweat stains. And I can't go here (laughs) on account of the sweat stains. I, I, you you nearly had me drop the call. I was, I was so bereft. Of anything, or it's like, okay, so we started with politics and we moved to bodily fluids. What the fuck is this, Congress? Uh, yeah, so, I, yeah, I, yeah. I regretted that. 
That's why I, <laughs> that's why there's not going to be an after dark. Well, at least according to the listeners, when this comes oh, I'm out, gonna record, not- I'll record a solo after dark just talking about the fact that, you know, I keep my bodily fluids to myself or people who have given me written consent to engage uh, with my bodily fluids because otherwise it's a da- slippery slope. Pardon the pun. Uh, to yeah. get yourself on. No, you're right. You're right. I I need to I need to learn to keep my bodily well, fluids inside. But I mean, there was still some good conversation that had you know once you waded through the bodily fluids. Well, leave it to the doctor to self congratulate. But uh, he is yeah, a doctor. Yeah, he yeah, is. In fact, I was actually more so congratulating Mr. Michael. Thank you very much. I well, that's the first doctor. time for everything as well. I understand. You gotta, you gotta, I'm gonna beg your indulgence. I was listening to someone who had to have either the greatest acid in human history or a severe mental deficiency who was tonelessly singing incorrectly, I might add, the chorus line of the Fleetwood Mac song Songbird for the last 45 minutes while I was at work trying to do inventory on pulls in the children's section, which means I have to find a specific board book that we are going to return to the publisher. And if you've never seen The Chaos, and I'm talking to Doc specifically, because having a young child, once you start getting into the children's section of a bookstore, it is just chaos writ large. So you are looking for a needle in a pile of needles. But yes, I have for the last 45 minutes listened to someone go, before you there will no more be crying no all of you no more be crying and i'm giving it more melody technically because i'm incapable of mimicking Not, what this yeah. person did without <laughs> being like, thrown off the air fucking hell put uh, me in yeah. coach no i i was so i've been playing hitman for the past several weeks as a way to sort of just temper my my interactions with reality i seriously contemplated walking up behind that woman strangling her unconscious and then finding a place to stow the body that's basically where my mental state was at that point grab her costume take over for her basically yes i was gonna start tonelessly singing and amble my way out of the store only problem is her beard was more impressive than mine so i would have had to have sprung a couple inches to catch up to your length in order to really oh man effectively mask it impressive beard yeah. But uh yes, well, for all of the the time travel talk and all of the delightful delicacies that have happened over the past few weeks, the standard operating fare at this show is we usually dive into random esoteric and in the course of discussing it, we lie occasionally. That's the shtick. It's a lot of fun. We have not necessarily done that recently because well, chaos. Chaos and life and tone deaf people. Yeah. I you know it's it's the situation is what it is but uh, are we actually going to be talking about smelly butt hair this evening uh that's dr butler to you i i didn't specifically say a goddamn thing about his educational requirements or not but oh he uh, has an iq of 143 he he's a doctor Smelly butt hair. I throw hands. And by (laughs) hands, I mean the ones that I found when I dig them out of the ground. (laughs) That's right. You recall. Very nice. Little big horn over here. Little big horny. Smelly butt hair. So, uh, yes, we will, in fact, be concluding it. Oh, delightful. Yes. Although, all apologies uh, if it's a little wonky there. As I said earlier, pre-roll, I completely forgot about our festivities this evening. And so it wasn't until literally three minutes prior to said meeting that I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be on the meeting. 
Okay. <laughs> the, Hi, Karumba. Yeah, and there was a mad dash to swap out laptops from my work to the personal and quickly get the camera plugged in and, and access chat GPT and well that's right I mean I that's what wrote the majority of the script today indeed except for hello I regret I, I regret that episode <laughs> I I do have to say I think Hosier nailed it by saying that it, it's not chat GPT that is fascinating it is people's fascination with chat GPT and what it means to them there's a very sincere inferiority complex for people who have looked at for instance uh, Fred Durst collaborating with Sarah McLachlan <laughs> lyrically speaking <laughs> And felt like their place in the grand scheme of things is threatened by how deftly chat GPT <laughs> strings together sentences. Uh, I, so, thought it, I thought that chat GPT Limp Biscuit Metallica met, mashup. Oh, that, yeah, I want to hear that. It doesn't shock me. He knows I've what I've heard he's your episodes. About. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he has several degrees, he has an IQ of 143. Yes, and I have fourth degree burns now <laughs> after having sat through them. So I think it's going to be oh, it's going to be a grand oh, time. You poor thing, you. Yes, yes. Uh, but yes, okay. We will in fact be making you suffer through one final installment of Smedley Butler. I think Smelly Butt Hair is fascinating. Uh, I am completely transfixed by his tail. I mm. would wager that almost nobody called him that in person, despite all of his numerous nicknames. Uh, I cannot imagine anyone calling him that, The you know, this kind of kick-ass Marine. Uh, amongst his other 87 fucking monikers that were self-applied, like old <laughs> Grindelwort and uh, <laughs> Captain Stinkeye, uh, Uncle Howdy. Like, yeah, I'm sure no one said smelly butt hair. Not, not a That's one. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, circling back to Butler, then, just to kind of quickly recap there, he's, you know, our most decorated Marine. He's got the two Medal of Honors. He, you know, kicked ass, took names. You know, he's got the big tattoo uh, <laughs> from throat to to waist. And Lest well, we forget. I yes, mean, it wants... isn't as big as it used to be. He's lost, like, how many continents now? <laughs> yeah. Well, just south, part of South America. But, yeah. And he's, you know, the, this is the fellow that's dug up, you know, Confederate arms that were buried and whatnot. So at least Batman has indicated the reason that he wears a, a glowing sigil on his chest is to give people to aim a, a place that's fortified instead of his head. It sounds to me like Smedley's just going, come on, just it, put me out of my misery. Exactly. <laughs> Don't so, hit me in South America. Come on. <laughs> hit me in the fabled Asias. So. In tonight's episode, we will have three lies for you this evening. Okay. Three lies. And to kind of, like I said, quickly catch us up there, where we left Butler off, his father had passed away, you know, so he had lost his, uh, you know, kind of protector daddy. His daddy. That's right. Mm, in the daddy. And, and he had been passed over for a promotion for, like, the top guy in the Marines, right? So, consequently... As a result of that, Butler retired from the military in 1931. Ooh. Took his Bye. ball and went home. That's right. You know, If you're not going to give me the top job, then why play at all? He did the Steve Austin turn. Mm-hmm. So by then, he was beginning to question U.S. involvement in foreign conflicts. He had come to believe that war, in particular World War I, was really a profitable business for the few at the expense of thousands of lives. 
He thought of himself more as a cog in the imperialist American war machine. So before retirement, he had begun lecturing at events and conferences, right, prior to leaving the military. And after his retirement from the Marines in 1931, he took that up full time. Uh, but to his credit, he donated much of his earnings from this lucrative lecture circuit. Surprisingly, and keep in mind, this is a guy that's like unhappy with the imperialist, you know, business nature of America. So he donated much of his earnings from the lecture circuit to the Communist Party of America. And well, the guy's pretty unhappy with everything. And that, I, I yeah, know, that but I'm still going to call little, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's bullshit. Okay. Yeah, he, he did, in fact, instead donate much of his earnings to the Philadelphia Unemployment Relief Center. Okay. Ah, I was going to say, as a former member of the American Communist Party, I can tell you I never saw a red cent, pun intended, <laughs> of that money. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I was a member of the Communist Party of Canada. Oh, so, I see. Yeah. Oh. That's, like, Wait, is that lie number two? No, that's genuine oh. truth. You know. Nice. So. Well, Nostrovia. That's right. So More on you. <laughs> so... He toured the Western United States making 60 speeches before returning for his daughter's marriage to a Marine aviator. In fact, her wedding was the only time he ever wore his dress blue uniform after he left the Marines, by this point being so disillusioned with his former service. He still kept the buttons of the shirt open, however, to allow his impressive chest piece to show. Oh, but of course. Mm -hmm. So Butler announced his candidacy for the U.S. Senate in the Republican primary in Pennsylvania in March 1932. Surprisingly, as a dry, so as a proponent of prohibition. Uh, but he was defeated in April uh, of that year. A dry? Yeah, that's what they were yeah, called. Yeah, he's one of them dries. <laughs> Did you not know that, Shane? Like a desert in my mouth. I, if I had known, I would have been self-applying that title for years now. Yeah, no, I'm a dry. <laughs> One I, of those I hail, to keep hearing I, about. Hail, I hail from Saskatchewan, so technically I'm a Canada dry, but nice. uh, I'm one of them dries you hear about from the movies. Yeah, if you were pro-prohibition, you were a dry, and if you like the uh, liquor, you're a wet. So oh, if, you showed wet. Up in, if you show up in the bar, there's not a dry eye in the house. That's right, and I love to get wet. I've heard that. So, so obviously, you know, uh, guy lost the election, right? Especially when you think by 32, you know, prohibition is already like uh, wildly unpopular. So but he still did have decent, you know, he got 37 and a half percent of the vote. So not terrible. Better than uh, Trump. Yeah. Mm -hmm. During his Senate campaign. <laughs> and he Butler's, was wet. <laughs> that's uh, Melania wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the most notorious dry of them all, in fact. <laughs> of course, no one can tell. She's not capable of expressions any longer. But uh, Well, you that's know. why she wears them on her coats, so you know exactly how she's feeling. It's also why she had to get rid of the Christmas tree in the White House. It's like, I can't squint anymore. This is killing my eyes. <laughs> it's too bright. Uh, Trump doesn't have the problem. He just stares directly into the sun. Yes. <laughs> And injects bleach into his body to fight any number of uh, you know, illnesses and airborne pathogens, chlamydia, allegedly. Syphilis, probably. Syphilis, even. <laughs> so during his Senate campaign, Butler spoke out forcefully about the veterans bonus. So if we recall, I think we briefly touched on this before, but veterans of World War One 
many of whom had been out of work since the beginning of the Great Depression, had sought immediate cash payment of service certificates granted to them eight years earlier via the World War I Adjusted Compensation Act of 1924. So, Each service certificate that was issued to a qualified veteran soldier bore a face value equal to the soldier's promised payment plus compound interest, right? Problem, of course, with these certificates, like bonds, they mature 20 years from the date of the original issuance. Thus, under extant law, these service certificates could not be redeemed until 1945. So you've got all these out-of-work soldiers uh, that need cash, and they've got these bonds, you know, that are like, hey, this is worth money. But they can't redeem it until 1935, so they're a little pissed off, right? So in June of 1932, approximately 43,000 marchers, including 17,000 World War I vets, their families, and affiliated groups, protested in Washington, D.C. This quote-unquote bonus army, as it came to be known, marched on Washington to advocate the passage of the soldier's bonus for service during World War I. So... They just basically wanted their money, right? They were promised money. They, they, they wanted, wanted their, money. their money, and they needed it now. But... I was going to say, this led to the creation and uh, installation of advanced paycheck cashing places. Exactly. Like J.G. Yes. Wentworth. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> Which we are sponsored by. If you, need a set- if you have a settlement and you need cash you, uh, now. You misread the email. Actually, we are sponsored by Sam's Hot Car Lot. This oh, week. Damn yeah, it, you're right. I, I never I always get the schedule wrong. Yep, yep. Uh, if you want a car and you just want to get it off the lot, come to Sam's. He'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember that lawyer? Did you guys ever get those commercials when your kid like was it? Uh Larry H. Parker got me. You know the story. Do you remember oh, those yes. commercials? Oh yes. That was the attorney that had syphilis of the eyes, I believe. <laughs> I'm going to assume that right sarcasm, and you do not, in fact, remember. Uh, oh, I vividly Parker. recall. But uh, yeah, don't if you want it, don't look up syphilis of the eyes. That's a real that condition, sounds and that's terrible. It's a bad thing. You don't. You want to know? Yeah, I think I'll pass. Thank you. Kelly. Yes. Yes. So, uh. circling back to a fellow that doesn't have syphilis of the eyes yet, <laughs> uh, but that's how he got face value, though. Noted. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the veterans that we're talking about here, the bonus army, they made camp while they awaited the congressional decision on whether or not to pay the bonus. Yeah. The motion, known as the Patman Bill, was decisively defeated, but the veterans stayed in their camp, right? So Hooverville, right? Um, yeah, we're kind of getting to that area. Okay, roughly. okay. Cool. Uh, Sorry, I jumped so, the gun. I got excited. Never happens, I promise. No, you're... you're... <laughs> <laughs> never happens it was just a one-time thing it happens to every guy yeah that's bullshit <laughs> oh you're right it's an issue <laughs> so hey at least you get it up right true on july 19th butler with his young son thomas the day before the official eviction by the hoover administration arrived at the camp So he walked through the camp and spoke to the veterans. He told them that they were fine soldiers and that they had a right to lobby Congress just as much as any corporation did. He and his son spent the night and ate with the men, and in the morning, Butler gave a speech to the camping veterans. He instructed them to keep their sense of humor and cautioned them not to do anything that would cost them public sympathy. So up there in front of the crowd with his trousers hiked high up on his waist, his, he had suspenders on and a little tie, and his sleeves were rolled up, but one uh, was one rebellious cuff was slipping down his uh, arm there as he made animated fist-pumping and gesticulation motions there. Oh, so he's, dirty. 
Yeah. So he was like the righteously furious Marine Corps Mr. Rogers. Because he's got his suspenders on and his pants hiked up high. And he just looks very much like, you know, this won't you be my neighbor kind of goodly guy. But he's up there just like giving hell to the government. I I still like the because the spirit animal has been pretty, you know, linear here. I still envision him as Brock Sampson. So now I'm just seeing a guy with a mullet, a barrel chest and crazy eyes. And you're saying he looks like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Honestly, this there's videos footage of him up there giving a speech, and it is pretty awesome to watch. Uh, you know, he's just so animated, he's so passionate about it. And when you consider the fact that, like, this is the day before uh, the Hoover administration is going to, you know, send the goons out, right, to break up this squad here, right, mm. uh, this this bonus army. But you have like America's most decorated Marine up there telling these soldiers, you know, that no, you have the right to be here. And if, if corporations can lobby Congress for, you know, financial gain, you should be able to just get the money that the government has promised you. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's, it's pretty noble and, uh, and quite honorable. Like, you know, I I wish we had more people like that nowadays. Agreed. Um, and you want to see a picture of him, Shane? Uh, I mean, I'm, I would be delighted, but, uh, yes, we do have someone like him. It's just John Stewart. And uh, he he does not, as far as I'm aware, have the full chest tattoo. But uh, I, I also don't know if John Stewart could go in there and kick ass and take names to everybody there. I mean, I have seen John. Okay, See? Mr. Rogers. I think John Stewart <laughs> actually looks tougher than this guy, to be completely candid. And I've heard John Stewart just undress people verbally. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and not what I was expecting. And and I, I mean, like, there, this is a, you weren't kidding. There is like a speech that he's giving. I, I searched his name in Hooverville and found the exact same overalls, the tie. I don't see the cuff that's slightly askew, though. So well, I, that would I, be I, the one on the left arm there that's just trailing oh, down. Uh, exactly. See, I, I paint yeah. a pretty picture. This looks like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, though. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't consider that very intimidating. Was like you guys got to sit here and listen to this. <laughs> You got every right in the world. (laughs) I got a real short tie, and I know what I'm talking about. You stay here. Oh, Oh, no. Merry Christmas, Marine Corps. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So he's he's not quite what you would probably have pictured in your head when we're thinking about, you know, this kick-ass Marine that's just... After that picture, someone has definitely called him Smelly Butt Hair. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> Might have been the last thing that they said, yes. but I can picture True. someone saying that, yes. Yeah. Fair enough, yeah. So, in that uh, in that 10-minute long newsreel there, uh, Butler says that, you know, the kind of, from the still that Michael just pulled up is from that uh, newsreel there. Uh, Butler says, quote, I never saw such fine Americanism as exhibited by you people. Uh so he's just extremely proud of them, right? And then he says, uh, you have just as much right to have a lobby here as any steel corporation. Makes me so damn mad a whole lot of people speak of you as tramps. By God, they didn't speak of you as tramps in 1917 and 18, did they? Well, they didn't speak of you at all. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Fuck up there. Yeah, he goes on to say, take it from me. This is the greatest demonstration of Americanism we have ever had. Pure Americanism, Butler adds in the segment. 
Don't make any mistake about it. You've got the sympathy of the American people. Now don't you lose it. And I should know, I trampled 47 Patagonians with horses. <laughs> yes, right. With a 110 degree fever, mind you. Uphill and both ways. And damn near took out Mexico. All the same for the love day. of the chimichanga. And I created the game Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> so Butler's words that day, all those years ago, still bear true. Quote, when you exercise your right as a citizen, which is voting, remember that everybody who's not with you is against you. There's no such thing as a middle course, Butler said during his speech. If anybody's with you, he'll say so. And if he doesn't say anything, he's against you. And when you go to the polls, lick the hell out of him. <laughs> when you Pokemon actually... <laughs> go to the polls, you want to lick the hell out of their polls. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, well, you know, uh, language is unclear. There. <laughs> um, well, hold on. Let me put his accent on. You want to lick the hell out of their polls, boys? <laughs> That's how you get a motion through Congress. You lick their polls. I mean, uh, not wrong. Not wrong. I think he was talking about voting polls. Uh, oh, oh, in that not- case, then that's incorrect. Not That's the oral not. office. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. So- Monica Lewinsky was wrong. So Man. just to finish out that quote, he also concluded with saying, doesn't make any difference what he is. This is not a business of party. This is a business of the people. This isn't a question of whether it's right for you to have the bonus or not. Things don't go that way. It doesn't go by justice. It goes by votes. And if you want your bonus, you'll get the votes. And you can have 10 times the bonus if you get the votes. So I, I essentially what I like about this what? quote... <laughs> Well, Go vote! It, You'll get ten times the bonus! Vote! Well, what what I like what he's saying about this is just that, like, in this scenario, you know, your your power as a citizen is the ability to vote. And don't get confused about, like, you know, sweet talk from certain people, right? If they're with you, they'll say they're with you. If they're not with you, then fuck them. They're against, they're against you. And... Your power is to go in there and vote. And so go to the polls, vote your conscience, and it doesn't make a difference what anybody else says because this isn't a question about whether or not it's right or wrong because people were arguing the, 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 that these people were greedy at the time, right? So it's basically saying it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. None of that matters. It matters do you have the votes. So go out there, I mean, change your case, get the votes. And if you got the votes, it doesn't matter. It's not about justice. It's about votes. That is very prophetic. I definitely would say. And in, in, in today's society, you don't even need the votes. You just need the right people to say yes. So that's, that's, that's fair. <sighs> this was said right before the police came and broke down and cracked skulls, right? Well, so on July 20th. <laughs> on July 28th. Sorry, I just had to ruin that perfect me- uh, message of going to vote. Pokemon yeah. go to the polls, as I like to say. Well, it's, I had to. It's I, no prophetic. one acknowledged it the first time. I had to say it a second time. Yeah, there was a reason, reason Michael. <laughs> <laughs> favorite line from her. Absolute favorite line. <sighs> yeah. So on July 28th, little more than a week after Butler's speech, the police and the veterans did in fact struggle, <laughs> Michael. So the U.S. Army uh, did move troops in. I didn't know the police was founded by this time. Yeah, Sting was there and everything. I was going to say, Stuart he, Copeland looks wait, a lot Sting. older Listen. than you know everybody else, but my God. Well, so Sting in particular was pissed off because that man can't stand losing. But, I mean, Andy Summers is a pacifist. He was after no. that. 
I know this he very became, well. Oh, he, he became he a pacifist because the fist. of this. No, he passed the fist That's right a bad to people's pun. face. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, pass yeah, the fist like, right into their poles. It's like walking on the moon over here. Yeah. So, like I said, the U.S. Army went ahead and moved in about a week later, leading tanks, cavalry, and armed soldiers with bayonets fixed down Pennsylvania Avenue, soon to become famous military figures Douglas MacArthur, George Patton, and future President Dwight Eisenhower rousted the bonus marchers with tear gas and torched the veterans' camp in downtown Washington before pursuing the marchers over the bridge to the Anacosta encampment. So, okay. I was going to yeah. say, really tanks, but then when you mentioned MacArthur, I'm like, okay, no, that, that seems par for the course. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's quite the uh, gathering of folks coming there, right? The people leading the charge. MacArthur, Patton, and Eisenhower are going there to break up the bonus army. Yeah, not Kinda since rough. the Ho Chi Minh Trail have I seen this much overuse of power. But, yeah, and uh, especially when you consider these are World War One veterans uh-huh. just trying to get the money that they need because it's literally the Great Depression. I mean, you're telling me that we abuse veterans in this country? I cannot believe what? that. It's unheard of. No. It's nice to know that we can't look back to a day and say, well, I wish things were better like they used to be. I wish we could make America great again. Indeed. Yes, you yeah, have I... to be pretty myopic in order to say such an imbecilic statement. That's right. So MacArthur was convinced that the march was actually a communist conspiracy to undermine the government of the United States. So during the conflict, several veterans were killed or injured. Butler declared himself a, quote, Hoover for ex-president Republican. So sort of like the uh, past version of Never Trumper. And even though he was a Republican, Butler supported FDR in the 1932 election. Like I said, I suppose the equivalent of a modern never-Trump Republican. Mm -hmm. Uh, After his retirement and later years, Butler became widely known for his outspoken lectures against war profiteering. And you got a little taste of it there when he's talking to the folks, uh, you know, about them being in the right there asking for Mm -hmm. their money. So he, like I said, he gave lectures against war profiteering, U.S. military adventurism, and what he viewed as nascent fascism in the United States. Not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I kind of like this guy, because it's a lot of the things he says and talks about uh, could have been said yesterday. Mm. Um, So in December of 1933, Butler toured the country to recruit members for the Veteran of Foreign Wars, so the VFW. He described their effort as, quote, trying to educate the soldiers out of the sucker class, which is also pretty cool. (laughs) Also understandable, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, In his speeches, he denounced the... Economy Act of 1933, which cut the salaries of federal workers and reduced benefit payments to veterans. So again, just screwing over the veterans. And this is the year later, right? Like this is after the bonus army in 32. And now we're, you know, passing acts to like, you know, reduce benefit payments to them. Yeah. What uh, are they going to do? Riot? Worked yeah. so well last year. Exactly. So uh, with the VFW, he called on veterans to organize politically to win their benefits and condemned, even though he had supported them the previous year, he condemned the FDR administration for its ties to big business. The VFW reprinted one of his speeches with the title, quote, You've Got to Get Mad in its magazine, Foreign Service. And he said, I believe in taking Wall Street by the throat and shaking it up. So he's starting to get very, like, you know, vitriolic in his speech here, right? Like a bottle of Coke, you just grab it and shake it. Why you? 
So, in addition to his speeches to pacifist groups, he served from 1935 to 1937 as a spokesman for the American League Against War and Fascism. I was going to say, it's an interesting sort of dynamic to throw in here, and I don't think it's discussed often enough that America's reticence to join into the war effort could also be linked to this exact set of circumstances that we're just talking about. I mean, if we're going, if this is how we treat our soldiers, why in the hell am I going to want to sign up for this? Like, unless there's a forced draft, there's no way you're going to get me in, which is why it's funny for every subsequent war, we have had a pretty significant reticence for people to get in. And particularly after Vietnam, obviously, that became oh. something where <laughs> yeah. it was certainly more publicized. But looking all the way back to World War One is like, this is how we reward you for all of your efforts efforts in trying to defend your country is like oh thanks well you're a second class citizen again uh, you always were it's just you're not cannon fodder anymore yeah and to that point i mean like that's looking at it from like the grunt perspective right mm -hmm. of like this is how i'm being treated so obviously the grunts have a reason to not want to go and do that but if you even if you look at somebody of butler status right he's worked his way up pretty high up the ranks he's you know well decorated uh so he's done pretty good for himself he's got a lucrative lecture circuit but his problem with it is partially, A, the way they're treating the grunts, you know, via the benefits, but B, his own firsthand experience from just having mm -hmm. to fight these wars and just realize, like, all I'm doing is going around and making the world safe for business. Mm -hmm. And so that's just like a second facet to it. So it's like, even if you work your way up instead and you don't have all the negatives of the grunt work that would that would they would already be unhappy with, like we were just chatting about, even working your way up, all that does is help open your eyes about the circumstances in which you're actually out there doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and like the third complexion to all of that is you also see firsthand the detritus that you leave in your wake as well. Because to other people, it's like, oh, yeah, operation was a success. You walk out and like, no, you watch what you wrought in that, you know, particularly like if you're trying to tear down infrastructure, if you're trying to imprison people, if mm -hmm. you've killed folks in the course of doing your duty, as he did often, like I, I, if I'm doing all of this just for, for somebody, you know, the profiteering effort, it's certainly going to make you a little more jaded. You know, one could even say it would drive you bananas. Like B A N A N A S. <laughs> I think that's why they called it the Banana Wars. So <laughs> <laughs> it was after the Boxer Rebellion, if you recall. That's why they called it the Banana Wars. Mm -hmm. Yep, because of the yes. hammocks everywhere. Nothing but hammocks. Actually, yeah. Smedley Butler, that was his uniform while serving the uh, or while fighting in the Banana Wars. It's just him in a out. banana hammock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's fighting in a Speedo, <laughs> just like Brock Sampson, you're saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. I got well, you. I mean, we already saw a picture of Smedley. I mean, him and Brock, it's the one and the uh -huh, same. Uh -huh. I bet he could pull off a banana hammock. <laughs> I want to smell their fear. <laughs> That's the only your, it's your crotch, smelly butt hair. <laughs> he's, he's decked out in camo except for his chest, which is why he only gets shot, shot in South America. So the only thing like enemy combatants see is just like the globe approaching them from a distance. Well, just it a does, floating it's, globe. It's a blue tattoo, right? If I recall correctly. Yeah, I believe yes. so. So it's like he really technically only has to half camo, just, you know, spread green on the other parts of your body. <laughs> the blue takes care of itself. <laughs> Captain so, Planet. Blue. When he's not out there fighting in 
the jungles, you know, playing Arnold Schwarzenegger there, rubbing mud over his eyes. His Banana Republic stuff. Yeah. So. (laughs) Just Banana Republic things. I'm a fighter for the Banana Republic. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So, all right. So in 1934, Butler testified under oath before the United States House of Representatives Special Committee on Un-American Activities. And he stated that wealthy businessmen were plotting to create a fascist veterans organization with Butler as its leader and use it in a coup d'etat to overthrow Roosevelt. Sorry, I just remembered his involvement with the, the, the business. Yeah, never mind. Um, yeah. Yes, Wait, the, the Committee of Un-American Activities? I thought that was after World War II. Is that bullshit? Yeah. It's not bullshit. Ah, okay. Yeah. They brought it back. A sequel, if you will. That's right. So Roosevelt's election, Ro- Roosevelt's election <laughs> was upsetting for many conservative businessmen of the time, as his campaign promise that the government would provide jobs for all the unemployed had the reverse effect of creating a new wave of unemployment by businessmen frightened by fears of socialism and reckless government spending. And he's disrespectful. He won't even get out of his chair when you enter a room. (laughs) The gall of that man. That's nice. I like it. So there were also concerns, of course, over the gold standard. With the end of the gold standard, conservative financiers were horrified. They viewed a currency not backed by solid gold as inflationary, undermining both private and business fortunes and leading to national bankruptcy. And that's why they created Bitcoin 70 years later. And the solid gold dancers. Mm. So Roosevelt was... Referred to as a damn, Roosevelt was damned as a socialist or communist out to destroy private enterprise by sapping the gold backing of wealth in order to subsidize the poor. So it's, it's extremely fascinating to me, this, this whole era of things. Cause you know, we, we often think about modern politics as being very divisive, but to flashback there, you have Butler and, you know, the veterans of World War One unhappy with Roosevelt for cutting back their benefits. You know, and not addressing the issues that Hoover, because Hoover hadn't addressed it, right? And you had the Hoovervilles, and he's the one that broke up the Bonus Army. But then it was Roosevelt who came in and passed the, you know, Economy Act there that cut their benefits even further. So you've got this unhappiness with Butler, you know, saying that Roosevelt's tied too much to big business, and the veterans unhappy that he's slashing their benefits but on the reverse side of that you have big business unhappy that he's taking america off the gold standard and calling him a communist and socialist and so it's just damned if you do damned if you don't right so it's very interesting that way so during the committee hearings there butler testified that jerry Maguire, of show me the money fame of course attempted to recruit him to lead a coup promising him an army of 500,000 men for a march on Washington, D.C. and financial backing. But, go ahead. Oh, no. I, oh, I was just like, this is, they just misunderstood the TVA, I think. Yeah, well, so Jerry Maguire there, he then test, uh, Butler testified that the pretext for the coup would be that the president's health was failing. So basically, Jerry Maguire goes up to Butler and says, hey, I can get you 500,000 men and a whole bunch of money, uh, you just lead them to D.C. and we'll uh, we'll take over. We'll keep Roosevelt there, but we'll say his health is uh, failing, right? The guy's in a wheelchair and stuff. He's not doing so hot. So we're here just to help. 
We're going to be the X-Men to his fucking Professor X. That's right. <laughs> and all he's going to be able to do about it is look over to Eleanor and say, you complete me. <laughs> so despite Butler's support for Roosevelt in the election and his reputation as a strong critic of capitalism, Butler said that the plotters felt his good reputation and popularity were vital in attracting support amongst the general public and saw him as easier to manipulate than others. So basically, everybody knows Butler, and he's well-liked amongst all the soldiers, so, you know, they would follow you. And he's good at leading coups, so... Given a successful coup, Butler said that the plan was for him to have held near-absolute power in the newly created position of, quote, Secretary of General Affairs, while Roosevelt would have assumed a figurehead role. Of the people implicated in the plot by Butler... All denied of any involvement, of course, and only Jerry Maguire was called to testify before the committee. <laughs> so it was like some big names in there, right? Like uh, Morgan Stanley, like uh, names of like big bankers. Yeah, Cuba Gooding. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Junior. Yeah, Tom Cruise, <laughs> and he looked remarkably similar to how he does now. That man does not age. I mean, he's, he's part of Scientology. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the magic. Once you connect yourself to Lord Xenu, you become uh, immortal. Somebody should interview that vampire. Uh, Brad Pitt did. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Preston was there, too, but she's dead now. So, I mean, that kind of throws our whole thing into the waxworks. Yeah, that's fair. True. Mm-hmm. So others whom Butler accused were not called to testify because, quote, the committee has had no evidence before it. That would, in the slightest degree, warrant calling before it such men. The committee will not take cognizance of names brought into testimony which constitute mere hearsay. So just to kind of put that into perspective, Butler's naming a bunch of names, right? He's going out there and saying, hey, I've been approached to lead this coup by a bunch of, like, you know, bigwigs in business and such, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this committee that he's testifying to calls, like, the low-level guy, the Jerry Maguire guy, but doesn't call anybody else because they're like, eh, we don't have any evidence of it. It would just be mere hearsay. But it's like, this is America's most decorated Marine coming to you and talking to you, right? Like, this guy should be respected enough to, at the very least, call these guys and, you know, ask him some questions, right? Man, this feels like... Are you sure this happened in, like, the 30s? Because it feels like it only happened a couple of years ago or something. <laughs> I mean, I can't make that comment too much now because finally Trump has been indicted with respect towards uh, January 6th in the last week or so. So I I guess my topical comment isn't as topical as it once was. Well, but I mean, this happens pretty regularly as well. It's just not often publicized because, I mean, was it there was a uh, there was an attempted coup in the UK in like the 60s or 70s. Uh, so, yeah, it just this routinely happens. Folks like take a run at the head of state. And depending on how much of a conspiracy theorist you are, one could argue that it did in fact happen in the U.S. in the 60s when JFK was blown away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to quickly outline the events, uh, the series of events, according to Butler, on July 1st, 33, he met with McGuire and Bill O'Doyle for the first time. McGuire was a $100 a week bonds, bond salesman for Wall Street banking firm Grayson Murphy and & Company and a member of a Connecticut American Legion. Bill Doyle was a commander of the Massachusetts version of the American Legion. Butler stated that he was asked to run for national commander of the American Legion. So first meeting, just some low-level guys. Hey, we want you to be the uh, national commander of the American Legion, which is just another veterans group. Uh, on July 3rd or 4th, so just a couple days later, 
Butler held a second meeting with McGuire and Doyle. He stated that they offered to get hundreds of supporters at the American Legion convention to ask for a speech. So basically like speech, 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 right? Get Butler to talk. McGuire left a typewritten speech with Butler that they proposed he read at the convention. Quote, it urged the American Legion convention to adopt a resolution calling for the United States to return to the gold standard so that when veterans were paid the bonus promised to them, the money they received would not be worth pay or be worthless paper. So essentially, they wrote a speech for him, too, and they just leave it behind. And in this speech to the uh, the veterans, for whatever reason, we're suddenly start talking about, like, getting America back on the gold standard and being political. But he's got no words in this. They're just telling him what to say. So he doesn't act on that. And a few months pass. And in late September, Butler meets with Robert Sterling Clark. Clark was an art collector and an heir to the Singer Corporation fortune. So yeah, you know, the, yeah instantly the related. Yeah. So distantly, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have the same name, so that pretty much means I'm related to him. Oh, I see. So I technically own a large share in uh, the Hunt's Tomato concern, is what you're saying? Well, that ends with a Z, so like you're like several times removed from the... It does the... not no, it end doesn't. with a Z. Oh, I'm thinking Hertz. Hines. I'm thinking, thinking Hines. Hines. I'm thinking Hines, you're right. Ah, <laughs> like oh, shit. Hurts. So you've confused rental cars and ketchup. All right. I mean, it it has led to a very sticky situation once or twice, so that's fair. It ends with a Z, just like Zenu. That's right. It's pronounced Z, not Z, Z. Z new. I told you I'm Canada dry. (laughs) So... You know, I mean, now, yes, okay, like the Singer Corporation, we know them for their sewing machines and whatnot, but they're not- And they're high C. Yeah, but they're not as, like, you know, big today as they once were. But back in the day, this is a massive corporation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Everywhere, everyone sewed, so it made sense that they were mm -hmm. big, big name. Yeah, and I I know that, you know, we're kind of walking on eggshells here around you, Michael, because I don't want to, like, speak ill of your, you know- Oh, I, I, or whatever. I won't inherit any of that shit. Talk all the shit you want. I, I'm, so, I'm poor. Can't so, even afford air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. I can't afford to pay attention. So McGuire had known Clark when Clark was a second lieutenant in China during the Boxer Rebellion, where he had the nickname, quote, the millionaire lieutenant. Big surprise, right? Mm. So during the first half of 1934 now, McGuire traveled to Europe and mailed postcards to Butler. By the time we hit August, Butler meets McGuire again at a hotel, and this is the last time Butler meets Jerry there. So according to Butler's account, it was on this occasion that McGuire asked Butler to run a new veterans organization and lead the coup attempt against the president. So basically, they took a few months there to try to kind of sweet talk him in. Well, you've missed a, a you know pretty pertinent detail to that. Butler's response to Jerry was to show me the money. Give me that money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't make a speech without the quan. That's right. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. So McGuire is alleged to have said that, quote, Roosevelt hasn't got the real solution to the unemployment situation, but will put across a plan that will be really effective. All unemployed men would be put in military barracks under forced labor, as Hitler does, and that would soon solve that problem. Another thing we would do immediately would be to register all persons in the United States, as they do in Europe. That would stop a lot of communist agitators wandering around loose. End quote. <laughs> Are there no workhouses? <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. So McGuire's basically telling Butler, yeah, we're going to like, you know, put everybody in forced labor, just Indentured like Indentured servitude. Yeah. That's the way to get people behind you. Yeah. And literally references as Hitler does, as if that's like a good thing. Like, yeah, we're going to do that. You know, like Hitler, it's working well over there. That leads me to think that that is not a correct statement. Oh, are you are you calling bullshit? I'm calling bullshit. Yes, it is true, my friend. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This is all part of uh, Butler's testimony there to Congress. So, yeah, it would be nice if it was. Also true was the whole registering all people in the United States. You know, so we'd all get our nice little number and barcode for ourselves there. So I, pretty. I mean, pretty rough. Yeah, he. I also, mean, we do now. It's called Social Security, but you know. It's True. Uh, he also hinted that weapons would be furnished to the Remington Arms by the Remington Arms Company, in which the Dupont family owned a controlling interest. So, mm. of course, like you know, hey, like I, my buddy there runs the you know this company, and you know we can uh, slide them some work. Because the one thing you do want to give to folks you're forcing into servitude are firearms. <laughs> what a brilliant maneuver to keep people subverted, America. I mean, it worked for the Russians. You just don't give them ammunition. <laughs> you just pick up the uh, the rifle off the guy who dies in front of you. You'll be fine. Hey, it's it's the U.S. You're not going to have any shortage of armage. Essentially, you know, just you run around and start breaking into people's houses. You will find, you know, bullets at least. So, in September of 1934, Paul Comley French, a reporter who had once been Butler's personal secretary. Meets with McGuire at his office, right? So in late September, Butler had told the uh, the Veterans Foreign Wars commander that the co-conspirators would be meeting him at an upcoming uh, VFW convention, thus having others witness the formation of the conspiracy. So basically, he calls his old buddy there, his old personal secretary, says, hey, you're a reporter now. I want you to meet with McGuire in his office because... uh, I need somebody else to like back me up on this because they're trying to get me to like lead this coup and only I know about it right now. So you go meet with them and talk with them, but you know, kind of under the guise of like, you know, being buddy, buddy with the coup and see what they say. So that way he's actually got somebody that also backs him up, which also circles back to the previous point of why uh, the committee, why Congress wouldn't have called some of these names that he's dropped to speak in front of them because it's not just him. It's like multiple people, multiple witnesses incredible witnesses but of course we just want to sweep this under the rug right we don't almost like a conspiracy of sorts mm-hmm. hmm. the so, confederacy of dunces that's right so <laughs> to that point a november 22nd 1934 article the new york times editorial published just two days just two days into the committee testimony dismissed butler's story as quote a gigantic hoax and quote a bald and unconvincing narrative this is perhaps unsurprising, given the wealthy controlled the media at the time. But just like <laughs> at the just, time, yeah, just just think about that. That we're only two <laughs> days into the committee testimony, and the New York Times is saying, "Oh, it's a gigantic hoax. It's you know an unconvincing narrative, right?" Even though the committee's not actually calling anybody that he's naming, and no questions are being asked, and we're only two days into the thing, and we're we're just trying to sweep it away with the media, you know. Yeah, where it, was William Randolph Hearst when this was happening? Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. So I, I well, the reason why I like talking about this is literally this is, could be ripped from the headlines today, except mm-hmm. instead of like them publishing an article in the paper, we'd be talking about a blog post or a CNN, you know, news coverage. 
or God help us, a tweet. Oh, definitely a tweet. But yeah, it's like basically it's just the New York Times out there pushing fake news, right? Like, you know, and, and dismissing his or calling him fake news, right? So it's uh, it's interesting. So anyways, uh, Thomas Lamont of J.P. Morgan & Co. called it, quote, perfect moonshine. Mm. So also chiming in there, you've got, you know, J.P. Morgan and Chase over here just being like, yeah, it's all perfect. It's moonshine. It's, it's bullshit. <laughs> White lightning. Exactly, yeah. And uh, General Douglas MacCarthy, the guy who broke up the bonus army, if we remember, Mm -hmm. also referred to this as, quote, the best laugh story of the year. So, what what is this, a fucking off Broadway production? (laughs) Yeah, it's. I'd go see it. That butler, best, it's a laugh riot. Yeah. Nine (laughs) out of 10. Laughs abound, tearjerker at the end. I'm a dry, thank you. That's all happening. Within, like, days of Butler's committee, you know, uh, hearings, right? So everybody's dismissing it, calling it a joke. You know, you've got bigwigs in the army, bigwigs in business, the media, all just dismissing it, calling the guy a quack. Uh, However, the Congressional Committee's final report, which was released quietly in February 1935, said, quote, In the last few weeks of the committee's official life, it received evidence showing that certain persons had made an attempt to establish a fascist organization in this country. No evidence was presented, and this committee had none to show a connection between this effort and any fascist activity of any European country. There is no question that these attempts were discussed, were planned, and might have been placed in execution when and if the financial backers deemed it expedient. This committee received evidence from Major General um, Major General Smedley D. Butler, twice decorated by Congress of the United States. He testified before the committee as to conversations with one Jerry Maguire, in which the latter is alleged to have suggested the formation of a fascist army under the leadership of General Butler. Maguire denied these allegations under oath, but your committee was able to verify all of the pertinent statements made by General Butler with the exception of the direct statement suggesting the creation of the organization. This, however, was corroborated in the correspondence of McGuire with his principal, Robert Sterling Clark of New York City, while McGuire was abroad studying the various forms of veterans' organizations of fascist character. So, essentially, they're saying everything Butler said was true. Everything he said was true. And the one thing that they couldn't immediately uh, verify um, and that McGuire had denied, they later verified by looking at his correspondence with, you know, the main guy from Singer Corporation. So I just love this because it's like the media is against him. The business is against him. The government's against him. But then just quietly, we just released this report to no fanfare, just saying, oh, yeah, but everything he said was true. Okay, bye. That's also, right. <laughs> very dismissive and transphobic again. You know, just, just because claiming that the guy was abroad doesn't mean that what he was saying was not, you know, important enough for people to hear and address. My well, God. You know, I was, you know, back in the 1930s there, the guy should have been in the kitchen. If, he's, if he wanted to be abroad, go bake me some bread. Yeah. I mean, hey, listen, you wear whatever panties you want to. That You know, it just means we're going to discredit your information. <laughs> So that was a horrible uh, joke, but it was sophomoric, and it made me laugh when I thought of it. And so I just I went ahead and put it on air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you welcome. 
Uh, all I was going to say was you just can't trust a Clark. Clearly. You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. I would know. Yeah, I don't I, trust myself. So, like, like this guy's life, though, to me, is just wild, right? All the ups and downs. And even when he thinks he's doing the right thing and he's like, I've been approached for a coup. The man could have potentially led a coup and taken over the government, mm-hmm. right? They asked him to do it. Big people that had money behind him and apparently could have got a lot of soldiers. And he was popular, right? The bonus army probably would have come back and rallied behind him. So this man could have led a coup, but instead he's like, no, even though I have issues with the government, I'm going to go testify before Congress, let them know what's what, only to be ridiculed and then just have it like quietly out there. But there was no big fanfare. There was big fanfare calling him a a quack and saying the whole thing was a hoax, Mm. but nothing out there just to say, oh, yeah, but he was right. So, I, I mean, it, it's because it would have gone against his character. He was all about going to the polls, just voting and uh, voting out the problems. And, you know, you don't need to do any other things. Just vote. But, you so, know, because we swept it under the rug, we got Meals on Wheels and the WPA. Yeah. So in 2007, it came out that Prescott Bush, father of George H.W. and grandfather of George W., may have been involved in this so-called business plot. Bush was a co-founder, or sorry, Bush was a founder and one of seven directors of the Union Banking Corporation, an investment bank that operated as a clearinghouse for many assets and enterprises held by a German steel magnate, who was an early supporter and financier of the Nazi party. The bank was suspected of holding gold on behalf of Nazi leaders, and what with concerns over FDR leaving the gold standard, it's feasible that Bush had motivation to remove FDR. So we've even got a Bush involved there in the business plot back in the day. Mm, Curious. Yeah. Coincidentally, just a month after the committee's findings, on March 25th, 1935, Jerry Maguire died in a hospital in New Haven, Connecticut, at the young age of 36. Mm. And uh, was Very uh, suspicious that he... Died in a hospital. Yeah, very suspicious he died in a hospital. He was noted, though, on his deathbed as asking everyone around the room, who's coming with me? That's right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So his attending doctors at the hospital attributed the death to pneumonia and its complications, but also said that the accusations against McGuire had led to his weakened condition and collapse, which in turn led to the pneumonia. What a baby. (laughs) Complications. handle it. Yeah, the complications also include a pillow over the face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, this man's only 36 years old, and he's the only person that Congress called to testify. So the only one that they directly had contact with, and a month later, he's dead. Yeah, that doesn't seem shady at all. (laughs) I mean, they always conducted their business outside in the pouring rain, right? So, like, he just got pneumonia there. Like, he was talking there for eight hours, and, you know, you just... Got pneumonia and died. It's hard to breathe with bullets in your lungs. (laughs) (laughs) So, as an entertaining note, this business plot that we've been chatting about, which was also known as the Wall Wall Street Putsch, inspired the comedy Miss The Putsch, yeah, yeah, Yeah. the Hall Putsch, the Putsch, the Putsch. Ah, you just need a little bit of putsch. That's right. I'm in the right direction. Uh, I can't get this car started. Can you give me a little bit of a putsch? <laughs> I should stop drinking so much beer. I'm developing a bit of a putsch. <laughs> nice. Well done. I like that. So 
This this business plot, anyways, it inspired the comedy mystery film Amsterdam, which came out last year in 2022, starring Christian Bale and Margot Robbie. Uh, also, Al Pacino plays a character based on Smedley Butler. The hell he does. What? The hell what? he does. Oh, you're calling bullshit? I've, I am. Okay, that's true. Al Pacino does not play a character based on Smedley <laughs> okay, Butler. Okay, all right. Thank you. Robert, Robert De Niro does. Thank you. <laughs> well also, done, though. though I, I would love to see, you know, now that I've done the whole thing as Jimmy Stewart, let's rewind and I'll start back over and do the whole thing as Pacino. <laughs> I actually thought that would squeak on by because, I mean, Robert De Niro plays the character and I figured I could just sub out Rob, Robert so, De Niro for Al Pacino. Interesting joke. And I think I may have mentioned it before, but yeah, my mother notoriously confuses those two actors and I am constantly correcting her as to who was in what film because she does this all the time. It was like, oh yeah, that casino movie with the Al Pacino. I was like, nope. Think yeah. it again. That's di- entirely different. And was... I, and I tried to mix it up and swap the two here. And once again, you're there to correct. I know me some Pacino. That's right. Hmm. Anyhow, returning to Butler, having been disillusioned with FDR over his lack of support for the veterans, Butler voted for Norman Thomas of the Socialist Party for president in 1936. Really? Is that bullshit? It is not bullshit. Ooh, spicy. Yeah, America's most decorated Marine voting for the Socialist Party in the 1930s was controversial, to say the least. No shit. What a socialist. (laughs) He must be a communist or something. As World War II approached, Smedley continued his anti-war statements. In War is a Racket, his 1935 book, (laughs) Butler wrote... (laughs) War is a Racket, the hit album from Smedley (laughs) Butler, featuring The Green Door as track number one. That's right. Butler wrote, quote, In the World War, a mere handful garnered the profits of the conflict. At least 21,000 new millionaires and billionaires were made in the United States during the World War. How many of these war millionaires shouldered a rifle? The general public shoulders the bill. And what is the bill? Newly placed gravestones, mangled bodies, shattered minds. For a great many years, as a soldier, I had a suspicion that war was a racket. Not until I retired to civil life did I fully realize it. Now that I see the international war clouds gathering, as they are today, I must face it and speak out. This is on the eve of World War II. Polaroid. See what develops. But I mean, just like, pretty serious, right? It's like, how many of these millionaires that got made, how many of them actually picked up a rifle, right? And it's the public that's paying the bill. And what is that bill? Gravestones. Mangled bodies. It's like, oh... Shattered Minds. I love that he mentioned Shattered Minds, too, because this is long before. Yes, you had shell shock discussed in World War One, but it's before we really discussed like PTSD and all that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we, but he's out there talking about the, the effect of the war can have well, on people's minds. Mostly because he probably saw it himself. So, like, no matter what public consensus is, he's like, I, I fucking know what I saw. Yeah. Empirically. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. You see it enough times, you know, it's not just someone having a case of the vapors. Yeah. It's exactly. a real yeah. deal. How about you tell me how it happens? I was there. (laughs) So Smedley Butler died in June 1940 from cancer. During his final days, his family remained by his side, even bringing his new car, which he'd recently bought, so he could see it from the window. Sadly, though, he never had a chance to drive it. Damn, what a damn shame. Is that bullshit? 
It's true. Did they send him off to Valhalla in that car? Because I would have wanted that. That would be nice. Yeah. Just like light the car on fire, like push it down, push it down a hill. Push it. Ah, push it. To the limit. Push it real good. You guys. Doing it doggy style, yes. Now, I'm thinking more, I'm sorry, if you're going to do the, you know, set it on fire, I envision like the flamethrowers from World War One. Oh, I love that. 21-gun salute, but with flamethrowers. Yes, just just built in it as it rides down with him like Granny from the Clampets, you know, just hanging out on the back. Oh, that's good. What a way to go. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so although he died, his legacy, however, lives on. Was he oh. buried next to the arm? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, He was set on fire. Goodness gracious, great balls of. That's right. You're right. Yes. Yeah. So, although the modern Marine Corps mascot is a bulldog named Chesty Puller, from the 1930s to the 1950s, Smedley the Bulldog was the Marine Corps mascot. Chesty Puller? Yeah, that's the current. Damn near killed her. That's the current Marine Corps mascot. The current Marine Corps mascot is Titfuck. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like hand jobs. How are you going to be out of here endorsing that? <laughs> well, because it's not with your hand. It's chesty. clearly in the name. It's well, a chesty I like puller. A chest. Yeah, I like doing the chesty puller. Okay, so but I mean, a hand can actually get a hold of you. So I mean, what's the difference? Well, so can, well so remember, nice he's always of... thought it was. He always thought it was hand chops. I... We didn't think you actually gripped. Well, uh, no. So it is hand chops it. because it's one on one side, one on the other. Smush them together. But and see, there you that's go. that's like just desert. It's frustrating, and then you're going to wind up hurting somebody after a while. I mean. Which, if they're into it, pra- you know? It, it, it's just not practical. Listen, That's all the I'm point, saying. The point of that sentence was <laughs> Chesty Puller is the current guy. But yeah, from the 30s sure. to the 50s, it was Smedley the Bulldog, in honor of Smedley Butler. No, I'm going to call bullshit. Not one of the 100,000 nicknames he got had anything to do with Bulldogs. Or Chesty not, Pullers. Not bullshit. Not bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Not bullshit either. That's not right. bullshit. Not bullshit. Not bullshit. That's right. Yeah, but Jordan Pooch. Bullshitchin. So Smedley the Bulldog was the old Marine Corps mascot, so he had a bit of a legacy there. The mascot of the Marine Corps recruitment department in San Diego is still a bulldog named Smedley, so he's still honored there. Additionally, the Boston, Massachusetts chapter of the Veterans for Peace is named the Smedley D. Butler Brigade. And... In 2003, he was posthumously awarded the Marine Corps Brevet Medal for his distinguished service. I thought you were going to say he was awarded a third uh, Purple oh, Heart. <laughs> I thought you were gonna, yeah. He can't say no to this one. I thought you were going to say posthumously. but Posthumously? Posthumously. Posthumously. Post. What did I say? Did I posthumously. Say post? uh, yeah, after posthumously. the joke was done. Posthumously. So. He told such a good joke. Be post. <laughs> Fuck it, we'll edit in post. I yes. think that still works. Posthumously, you say tomato, I say tomato. Posthumously, potato, uh, you know, pooched. Pooched humanistly. Ah, let's call the whole thing off. Well, here's your crown. <laughs> but that's what I have for you, gentlemen. Well yeah. done. Yeah. A, a uh, very I'm... interesting topic, I will tell you. I, that was a, a fascinating character study. Yeah, the man, like, if you could just go in and, like, look up 
some quotes of his. The man, I loved some of the things he he talked about, and I think some of the stuff he said is very relevant uh, to today. So, like for instance, he's got. You know, I have a few of his quotes here that I just jotted down for myself. As do I. Um, I have. Ooh. Ah. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> So Butler said things like, uh, three steps must be taken to smash the war racket. One, we must take the profit out of war. Two, two you must work on your forehand. Two, and we three, must permit, you must keep the backhand strong. <laughs> we must permit the youth of the land who would bear arms to decide whether or not there should be war. And three, we must limit our military forces to home defense purposes. But I like in particular those first two, right? Take the profit out of war and then let the people that are actually going to fight the war. Let them vote. Decide if there should be a war. Oh, I thought it was the let people who were going to bury arms like he did. Bear, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. I but, feel like a requirement because I just had this realization. If you find Stonewall Jackson's arm as a requirement. Your what final wishes, you must remove your arm and give it to that little grave site. Like, add to oh, the pile. Oh, you just have to add to the pile so that, like, mm. it just continues to grow over time and somebody else opens it up and there's, like, 13 buried Yeah, exactly. Arms. Yeah, like, can you imagine you're just, like, going, like, uh, just, like, uh, treasure hunting or something and you come across a box full of arms. Nothing else. Hey, uh, you know, it's the United States. We have the rights to keep and bury arms. Mm-hmm. But then you're part of the curse. Now you have to contribute your arm to the pile. No, I don't. Do you know I per I prefer a chesty puller. The that, mm, the that's the size box and the materials that that box would be so expensive. <laughs> it would cost an arm and a leg. That's why no, I use the arm. chest. <laughs> I don't want to get in the box. It's too much. Man, as long as no bunnies get put in the box, then we're fine. <laughs> It was a stretch, I know, but uh, I, I can't say no to a Con Air reference. I can't. Why couldn't he put the bunny back in the box? Let's put the bunny back in the box. But yeah, so that's that's Smedley there. <laughs> we just beat the enthusiasm out of the... I have a bunch of quotes from him. No, I don't. Oh, I'm going to give up. You know what I say to that? Ooh, ah. Ooh, ah. Ah, the man's... The man's worth checking out anyways, like I, I said there, if you're a fan of Chomsky or a, you're a fan of the military, either way, you're going to find something there under the Butler <laughs> under that shirt. Butler mania. <laughs> mm. Oh, yes. Butler mania is fact. Run wild. I heard that they actually like took off his chest tattoo and used that as a flag. No, that's, never mind. That sounded better in my creepy. head. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Actually, you know, they used it to to bind all of the uh, you know storied novels about his life and its exploits. They bound the books in his skin. See, that's better. That's better. A lot better. Like the Necronomicon before it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, any final stabs there? You've gotten two of the three, so there's just one dangling out there. Uh, South America. Well, I stab from, it. That's from. Oh, I see. It was a shot, my friend. It was a shot. I didn't say I was trying to recreate it. I wanted to add to it. You just go around stabbing South America and like, hey, where are you from? <laughs> no, only if they have it tattooed on their chest. Oh, no, I was thinking he was just in South America, just, you know, perforating <laughs> the ground. Like, oh, thank you. Take that ground. We can, we can plant more coffee. <laughs> just helping. Okay, uh, my stab. Let's see. Um, FDR was never president. You're right. I didn't correct. even think of that. Okay. Uh. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, why why would America ever elect somebody in a wheelchair? I mean, it's not like we're trying to turn the presidency into a special Olympic. Wait. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Bush. Bush. Uh, Trump. <laughs> current pre. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, you convinced me. Fuck it. Let's do it live. <laughs> so, uh,. I guess just to recap then, since it doesn't sound like there's any official stabs. No. no. Uh, so you guys obviously caught the Communist Party of America there when it was, in fact, the Philadelphia Unemployment Relief. Still a great spot. So he the, the, the also. Fact made, mm-hmm. Yeah, he did donate pretty much all of his earnings. Just it, yep. It was also known as the Philadelphia Experiment. Mm hmm. I would have believed it better if you had saw, it said like the uh, Democratic Socialist Party or the Socialist Party. Yeah, I should have uh, gone with Socialists, even... especially since he later voted for them. But you know, mm. but you did mm-hmm. call bullshit on that later down the line, so it kind of still worked out okay. Like some false stabs. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Obviously, you caught the Al Pacino versus Robert De Niro bit, and then the last one. And Shane, you're not going to be a fan of this one, but such is life. I wrote this script uh, way back before I even did the first episode, so you know, live with it. The mm-hmm. final lie is the bit of, uh, in 2003, he posthumously was awarded the Marine uh, Corps Brevet Medal for his distinguished services. Dang, he did that this, on purpose. You mispronounced this, it to throw me off the scent. Perfect. <laughs> this <Textbook>. is <laughs> uh, Also, this is another chat GPT lie. Again, oh the only times I've directly quoted chat GPT output was for these lies. Interestingly, the AI was somewhat correct again. He was, in fact, awarded the Brevet Medal, but Smedley was eligible for the Marine Corps Brevet Medal when it was created in 1921 and was was one of only 20 Marines to receive it. So Chad GPT got it right. He did get the medal, but he got it in his first year of eligibility in 1921, not 2003. And they were also correct in noting he did die. That is true. That's true. Yeah. He did not pray enough to Lord Zenu. Not no, level up. Yeah, no zombie smedleys around here. Not one. Unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, quite quite interesting there anyways, because like, like I like like the the first episode's chat GPT lie where it's a mixture of truth in it, but just still quite wrong, but like with a kernel of truth. So Fascinating anyways, but I and I knew that lie existed and I'd already written it down. And then when I got all the flack about the first chat GPT lie, I considered altering it. But then I was like, ah, screw it. I'm going to leave it. (laughs) So here we are. And that, gentlemen, was the fascinating case of one Smedley Butler, America's most decorated Marine and in an alternate universe, our fascist leader. I'm still going to insist that John Cena is, in fact, our most decorated Marine because he has had at least 22 separate outfits when he goes to the ring. I mean, documented the the colors of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I what kind of is funny when you think about that is so the real life Smedley Butler was super kick ass, right? Like the man like was just a badass from the things he's done and the skills that he had and everything. But then we see the pictures of him with his suspenders and his tie and looking like things. Clem from The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it makes me think, like, if you were to put him against John Cena, you would just assume John Cena just from a picture of the two, you would assume John Cena would destroy him. 
but I would bet good money the real ice medley probably would have wiped the floor with him. Well, I mean, John Cena is actually a Marine. Like, and, and right? Yeah. So he actually, he, so he has training, right? I, I, no, he, no, he, he, no, he's, he's not. not. Okay. Played one in a movie once. Um, <laughs> I, however, I will say that Smedley would be at a considerable disadvantage when fighting John Cena because you can't see him. This is true. <laughs> I mean, he probably has some sort of marine training where he can, like, locate heat signatures or something like that. He's not the like predator. predator. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I'm just saying, I think it ends with a tap out. Uh, Cena gets in, in the STFU, and, and it's all over. Oh, I'm thinking he takes, I think Smedley would take him down with an ankle lock, and then that'd be it. The, the Smedley. Yeah, just Mr. I, I see oh, sl- I can't even roll up my shirt sleeves properly. Oh. I, I see him slide. Well, no, he he does. He can. He just can't be bothered with it because he's too busy kicking ass and taking names. Okay. Yeah, but well, see, so- does he wear sweatbands and uh, in raucous and riotous colors the way John Cena does? No, he does not. Well, how would you know? You can't see John Cena. What do you know? Oh, I can see John he Cena. It. <laughs> I. You want to know how I know? I was there. <laughs> I did color commentary on his matches when he was wrestling in OVW. Jim Cornette called me up. I was there for 14 consecutive weeks doing color commentary, and that's how I saw John Cena. It's like the Invisible Man. He came to the ring. I couldn't see him, but I saw his garish clothing. Oh, he was wrapped up in bandages, probably from getting his ass handed to him by Smedley Butler. Smedley Butler was dead for fucking 40 <laughs> years before John Cena was even conceived. <laughs> and, and he was such they, a badass, they he still his kicked his ass. On the, John on the Cena, ring, and then he trip, John Cena trips over him and knocks himself unconscious. <laughs> John Cena dug up his ashes and shit on him before he went to the ring. It's a true Marine. You want to know how I know I was a Navy SHIELD? <laughs> he was there. I was there in the Baja. I can tell so, you something about Schmedley Butler. He's never been to the Baja. Because Veracruz is on the other side. Yeah. In the Pacific. So what do you guys think? Uh, you obviously seemed familiar with Smedley there, Michael, because you had the, ah, oh, yes, business plot and you nods I totally, of recognition. And, uh, uh, yeah. Like I said, like I had mentioned before, I'd listened to like a three-part series on him like years ago. Uh, pretty fascinating dude. Um, I uh, I listened to Chinese Democracy as well. I knew a lot about Smedley Butler going into this. Exactly. The Boxer yeah. Rebellion. The specific types of boxers that he would rebel against. Yeah. Yes, the ones with the hearts on them. Yeah, you don't want to wear those. They just... Yeah. Fabric, yeah. it just doesn't... Like, I don't know what the thread it's count is. It, just, it doesn't... No. no, no. You just get that swamp ass you're so fond of. Ugh. I'm sure Michael's very familiar with that now. Yes, I'm yes. not going to. I've already learned not to comment on it. <laughs> and so you. I will leave it up to the listeners. Yes, imagination. We're not going to let you describe the 18 different ways that you sweat during the day. <laughs> I am actually a master at sweating. Yes, I've, uh, I've we get papers it. On it. Yes, you smell like a man eating from under cheese in the septic tank of a slaughterhouse. I got it. Just want everyone to know. Appreciate it. Well, uh, thankfully, that is going to bring this glorious episode to a close. There won't be a single sentence or syllable about sweat mentioned in the remainder of this show. I guarantee it. Mm -hmm. But uh, we hope that you all enjoyed the saga. Please uh, let Michael know in the comments. Uh, He would love to hear about it and always does. And he will fire back a lengthy missive to you if you do the same. Ooh. 
He'll even roll around in his chair for you. Now you're talking about me. I, oh, I am. Yes. yes. Well, yes. you said Michael, and so I'm yes, sorry. I, I can he, occasionally sorry, he, he use your demonic Dr. name. <laughs> oh, yes. Dr. Michael. Sorry. Dr. Gregory. Dr. Gregory will get back to you in the comments when he has a moment. You have to- Esquire, the third PhD. I should honors. say, Dr. Michael will have his messaging service return your inquiry at his earliest convenience when he is not trying to purchase more property in the great state of South Kakalaki. <laughs> yes, well, you can understand my confusion. Generally speaking, when you refer to Michael, you're I usually to do. Fellow. Yes, but yes. also he knows that I do not engage with anyone at all. Yes, uh, because the the <laughs> most important way to make sure that a podcast thrives is to have a completely <laughs> derelict and dead social network. And uh, by that, there is actually a link tree in the show notes that, uh, you know, is included occasionally by uh, erstwhile co-hosts that pay attention, uh, where you can go and find all of those dead and derelict social networks, in fact, that we are a part of, or used to be, at the very least. So uh, come look at our ashes, like the uh, dead arm of Stonewall Jackson. You can dig us up from time to time. but We actually uh, should revitalize it. I mean, we could throw up the picture that we were talking about with Smedley there. Sounds like someone's volunteering. <laughs> give, give me the power, and I will. Oh, oh dear God! Yes, for yes. The, for the person who's never posted on Instagram before, you're going to trust him. <laughs> yeah, better than me. It's true. I I don't have any post on Instagram this week. Yeah, be I first. know. I listened. <laughs> Much to my chagrin, I listened. So, uh, yes, yes, delightful time. But, uh, much to all of your chagrins for listening this week, I'm sure. And if you're mad about it, let us know. You know, drop another mention in the comments there. But as always, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We would love to hear from you. We got new episodes winging your way every lovely Monday morning, so you can check us out there. And of course, we are most often on the tubes of you on Fridays. It's not, uh, you know, guaranteed, but it happens. So uh, when it does, be be thankful. You can watch our reactions to the Iron Sheik behaving like a camel. It is fantastic. And uh, there's another person who's Medley Butler I would love to see fight. Uh, he and N. Cosro having a grapple would have been very interesting. They might be up there doing it right this very moment. Sensual. Yes. Uh, well, it, it's it's not a, a Chesty McStrokerson or whatever the hell the Marine mascot is. Uh, <laughs> chesty Puller. Titty McTickfuck. <laughs> <laughs> Nipple McTitfuck, yes, yes. Honestly, even as I typed it out, it did not dawn on me. <laughs> like these different things it wasn't until you said it and then i was like wait what's he talking about and i was like chesty oh puller. chesty puller oh, yeah, how did i miss yeah. that well you don't think like a 12 year old <laughs> step one uh, is, listen i've had to navigate the adult world with this perverse mentality for a very long time it's not easy and uh, when you're just constantly cackling at things that no one else find funny uh, you She's get like, this podcast <laughs> boobs <laughs> No, boobs, <laughs> boobs are not funny. Boobs are serious business. Now, tip fucking, that's them. funny. Absolutely. That's yeah. hilarious. As the old proverbial slip and slide. But, uh, <laughs> that's a different kind of water sport, Michael, and it's called oh, Golden right. Showers. But, oh. uh, all right, that oh, is going to officially wrap this up like a cock press between two warm breasts. And so, for the disinformed podcast, this week, I am Shane. I'm Doc. And I'm Michael. And we hope y'all have a Baja Blast. 
And zippity zoop, we're out of here. Tip fucker. <laughs>